Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Amen. All right. Well, it is great to be here this morning. Everybody's doing all right? Okay. I like liveliness, so I'm going to... I'm going to draw you in this morning. So today, we are continuing our series on uh, the book of First Peter called The Struggle is Real. And today, we're going to look at the struggle is real, but we have a loving father. Well, that works out on Father's Day, doesn't it? We have a loving father. Um, so even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of difficulties, we know that we have a loving Father that cares for us, that, that loves us, that, that gave up everything for us. And we sang about that this morning, about the Jesus sacrifice, and we're going to talk about that later, that, that God would allow His only Son, His only begotten Son, right, to lay down His life so that each one of us could have eternal life. Right? And I believe that we have that amazing eternal life to look forward to. But also, right, in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I, uh, or the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to bring you life and life to the full or life abundantly. Right? And we, because of our loving Father, we can enter into the fullness and the abundance of life right now, today. And so we are going to be talking about this. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 13, all the way uh, to chapter 2, verse 3. Um, and we can see in this chapter that we have a loving Father. We've, and we've seen Peter kind of uh, lay the foundation of that earlier in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And we can see through this section that because we have this loving Father, because we have been called into this family of God, there are certain expectations as a family. And that we are called as sons and daughters to live holy lives. Right In the face of our trials, in the face of our struggles, we talked a couple weeks ago about the context of this book that Peter was writing into uh, a group of people that were marginalized. Right, We called them mutants. Right, We said that these people, just like the X-Men, are cast out. They're looked down on. Nobody trusts them. Nobody likes them. Right, But Peter is calling these outcasts, these Christians in Asia Minor, to come together, to come together as a family, and that family, you should have, you should live holy lives in the face of all that is going on. Sometimes, when we're in a bad place, when we're going through trials, we're like, I don't care, I just want to do whatever I want to do. It's bad enough that I'm going through this trial, right? I don't want to live a holy life as well, but let's see what Peter has to say about that. Um, And so as we go through this section of Scripture, we will see that the overarching theme is holiness. And in Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary, the definition is moral and ethical wholeness or perfection and freedom from moral evil. Right? And this is what everybody is longing for. Everybody wants this. Right? Everybody wants freedom from moral evil. Right? We don't know anybody that, that's, you know, in conversation says, you know what, I wish there was just more evil in this world. Right? I wish that just more horrible things would happen. Right? I, I wish that people would be more selfish you know, and to, to kind of bring destruction and division in relationships. 
right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. We all long for this freedom from moral evil. We all long for holiness. And we all kind of have our own definition of what holiness looks like. Right? And if we're honest with ourselves, is we, we can kind of let go, this is what we think holiness looks like. If we're honest, we don't even live up to those, our own expectations. Right? We make the list and we fall short of what holiness looks like. So as Christ followers, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, as sons and daughters of the creator of the universe, we don't have to guess about what our morality looks like. We don't have to guess at our ethics. We don't have to just choose preferences, right? We know what evil looks like because our Father tells us. And so we know what freedom from evil is. And a lot of times, and as I was growing up, I did not like the biblical definition of holiness, right? I, I saw it as a negative thing, right? I saw it as something that, that um, I had to conform to, which is true, but I saw it as kind of God kind of sitting up on this throne up in heaven, and his favorite thing to do was to force people to stop having fun and to conform to his holiness, Right. Because I grew up in the church. I uh, was a, uh, a PK. I was a pastor's kid. And so I knew a, a lot of things. Right. And I knew that God didn't like drinking and I knew that God didn't like doing drugs. and I knew God didn't like premarital sex. I knew that he didn't like anything that I considered fun. Right. And so in my weirdly corrupt mind, I was like, God is against fun. Holiness is the opposite of fun, right? And that is how I lived my life. You know, the the Bible would talk about things like forgive people. And I'm like, God, that is crazy because that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. What they did is terrible, is unforgivable. I'm not going to do it. Or what does Jesus say? The, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first? Well, that's crazy, God, because if I do that, I'm going to get walked all over. I'm going to get taken advantage of. And I need to look out for myself because nobody else is going to do it. And so, God, I, I've heard these sermons. I've, heard, I've read your Bible. You obviously don't understand how the world works. You know, you created it. It was a long time ago. Things are a lot different now. I'm just going to do things my own way. Right? I saw his holiness as opposed to my fun, my happiness. But really, we have to understand that holiness actually brings us into life. It brings us into abundant life. And when I got saved, when I got, saw the truth, I realized that all of these things that I was like, well, that is fun and God's against fun, all those things led to death and destruction. They div- division in relationships and, and all this bad, sinful stuff was the fruit. And ultimately, death, right, is the fruit of all of this sin that I thought was fun. And when I walk away from that and I walk towards God's holiness, when I walk towards loving people like God has called me to do and to to lay my life down for others and to serve myself and to conform to his image, his understanding, and what he says is holy living, that is when I find life. It's when I, when I sacrifice, that is when I come alive. And we all know that that is true. We all have sensed that. When we have, you know, kind of put down our rights and our desires and, and preferred somebody else, it makes us come alive. 
And that is what God is calling us to. He's not calling us to live a sad life until we get to heaven. He wants us to live the fullness, the abundant life today, right now. Amen. Thank you. So we are going to, that was kind of the intro, that we're going to jump into our portion of scripture here. Uh, we're going to read a, a section and then we're going to discuss it. Um, and we'll do that through the, the rest uh, until chapter 2, verse 3. So in verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. All right, and so in verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. He says, he's saying in light of what we have already talked about, in light of the the hope, in the salvation, the inheritance that we have talked about in the preceding verses, um, get ready. He's saying, and it says, prepare your minds for action, right? He's saying, get ready. We are going to put that theology into action here in this next section. And in verse 14, he says, as obedient children, do not conform, is what it says in the NIV, Um, And we are called to be obedient children. And like we mentioned, Peter said in verse 1, 3, and 4, that we we have a father. And that this father has an inheritance laid up in heaven for us. And Pastor Cameron gave this great example of this... inheritance of a Mediterranean cruise, right? And that if we knew that we had this Mediterranean cruise waiting for us, it would change how we live today. We would be expectant and excited because we know what the future has, right? And so we have a father. We have a father who has an even greater inheritance than a Mediterranean cruise. Imagine. It's going to be even greater than any cruise, um, laid up in heaven for us so we know where we're going we know our father has that for us but at this time today as we're looking forward to that we are called to live as obedient children obedient children and to explain what this looks like peter gives us kind of a comparison in a contrast contract contrast he compares and contrasts I speak, I talk out loud for a living. Okay, um, so he says, do not be conformed in the NASB. Like I said, in the NIV, it says, do not conform. But I think the NASB and the ESV, I really like this uh, translation better because it, it, it holds the, uh, the passiveness of this verb in the original language. Because it's not that we are conforming. Do not go out and conform yourself. He's saying, don't be conformed. It's a passive. We are receiving the conforming of somebody else's action. right? And so as human beings, as humanity, our natural tendency is to be conformed by our own sin nature, and to be conformed by our culture in our world, right? And Peter is saying, don't do that. Don't just follow the the natural depraved tendencies of your heart. He said, instead of doing that, you should actively pursue holiness, 
right? You have somebody new to follow. You are no longer following your sin nature. You're no longer following the ways of this world. Now you are following Christ. You are following Christ's example, right? And we saw that he laid down his life, that he endured trials. He endured suffering, right? And in the same way, we are to follow his example and to be holy like he is holy. And in verse 15 in the NIV, it says, be holy in all you do, right? Which is good, but I think it's even better as we see it in these other translations. He says, be holy in your behavior, right? Be holy in your conduct, I just feel like in all you do feels a little bit ambiguous, right? It can be kind of like, ah, oh, just be holy, man. You know? But when you say be holy in all of your behavior and all of your conduct, we understand that, that Peter is saying it's not about what's in your mind, right? It's not about just thinking holy thoughts and being positive, right? He's saying in the things that you do, in your actions, in what you actually do with your hands and your voice, what you, where you go and the things that you do with your life, those things should be holy, right? It's not just about good thoughts or good intentions. In the kingdom, it is about good behavior. And this is not works righteousness. This is not Peter saying, you gotta, guys got to pull it together and work really hard, then God the Father will love you. No, he's saying in light of your inheritance, right? In light of that you have a loving father, right? Because of that, because you were planted in this family, so now you are empowered, you are enabled to go and live holy lives in all of your behavior, in all of your conduct. Awesome. And so Peter kind of explains, right, what this is supposed to, that we're not to be conformed to the world, that we're supposed to be holy, that we're supposed to actively pursue holiness, which is an action, right? Um, He explains kind of why he is telling us this. Why is it that we should live holy lives in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our suffering? And he says in verse 17, since... You call on a father who judges each, uh, each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. For he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So why why should we live holy lives? In verse 17, Peter says, because you will be judged for what you do. Oh, that doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> right? And Peter is saying that you are responsible for your actions. Right? We can't blame other people. We can't say, well, it's not my fault. I was selfish and horrible. This person did that. Or this is what's happening in my life. I, I just am just reacting. It's not my fault. Right? And we can't say, um, oh, it's not my fault, God. I have this, this terrible sin nature. And so what I want to do, I I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. It's not really my fault. No, Peter is saying, 
you will be held responsible for your actions. Right? And in the uh, New Living Translation, it says that you will be judged or rewarded based on your actions, what you do. And that seems a little better, right? Like, oh, at least there's a, you know, that sounds a little bit more positive, right? And the, the Bible talks about that when we uh, uh, enter into eternity, when Jesus comes back the, uh, and we are bodily raised again to life, right? A bodily resurrection, new bodies, living on the new heaven and the new earth. There's going to be rewards. And how does that work? I don't know. There's going to be crowns, you know, and there's going to be this, there's going to be rewards for how we live our lives, right? And that is awesome because we know that God is present. God is with us. God is watching us, right? And we have to take responsibility for what we do. And that can sound pretty scary. I've got to stand before God and give account for all the things that I do. That sounds pretty horrible. Well, it can sound scary, but luckily Peter doesn't stop there. He continues to go on and to explain that we will be able to stand confidently before God on that day. And the the reason we can stand confidently and the reason Peter is saying that we can live or we should live holy lives, is because God has paid such an incredibly high price for you and for me. And we see another comparison and <laughs> comparison and con- contraction. Is that a word, Aaron? Contraction? No? Contract. Contraction. Contraction. No... <laughs> So you say comparison and contrast? Hmm. So you also say compare and contrast. You say contrast both times. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, put that in your notes. So, um, so there's another comparison and contrast here. God did not pay silver and gold for us, right? He didn't pay just this carnal thing, this this simple thing. It's not like uh, Jesus was like, oh, you know, I got I to gotta redeem Al. It's going to be a couple bucks. And I got to redeem Shelton. It's going to be five bucks. And I got to redeem these people. And oh, this is getting expensive. And God's like, don't worry. You know, you can get a job at Pizza Hut this weekend and kind of make some of that up, right? Um, that's not a great analogy. But the idea, right, is that it's not something simple and cheap. And it's like, oh, you know, not a big deal that God paid for us. Right? We see that Peter shows us, and we see throughout uh, the, the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, that uh, the price that was paid for our ransom was the precious blood of Jesus. Right? And if I can remind you of a series we did a couple series ago in the Nicene Creed. Does anybody remember we talked about the, through the Nicene Creed? One of us? Good. Uh, just kidding. Um, in one of those statements in the Nicene Creed that we read um, at the, the first Sunday of every month during communion, it says, And we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. 
And if we can remember, this was written in 325 A.D. And people got together in Nicaea and they came together, not just because they wanted to have some fun and like, oh, let's write a creed. That's what they did for fun back then, right? No, they came together because there were these people that were saying, I don't think Jesus is divine. I don't think Jesus is really the son of God, or at least he's not the son of God like that. You know, Jesus was, maybe he was just a man, and that the, the, you know, God sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit filled him, right? And that, that's who died for us on the cross. But the Spirit would have left before he died, because God can't die. That doesn't make any sense, right? Or, you know, Jesus was just a, a good man, right? And he was not always God. Or that maybe God created him just a little bit later, you know, after... You know, he existed, right? But the Nicene Creed comes and says, no, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, right? That Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. Before everything existed, right, Jesus was. And Jesus spoke and created all things. And that wasn't quite clear enough, right? And so they said that Jesus, not only was he, you know, before all the worlds, but he was the light of light. He was very God of very God, right? He was begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. He is the same as God the Father. There's, there's no difference in their essence, right? And so this creed just is rock solid that Jesus is divine, that he is equal with the Father, that Jesus is God. Right. And it is this Jesus that Peter says that lay, you know, laid down his life, that died on the cross, that shed his blood so that you and I could have right relationship with God, so that you and I could enter into this relationship with a father God as his sons and daughters, as his adopted heirs. Right. This is the price that was paid. The blood of God shed for each one of us. And that is significant. That is a good reason to be holy because God has given so much. He's laid down everything. And so what can we give him in return but to follow him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our souls, with everything that we have. We should pursue that because he is worth it. And so that is why Peter says we should live holy. And then he begins to talk about uh, what this pursuit of holiness looks like. Right? And this gets uh, a lot more practical um, throughout the, the rest of the, the book of First Peter, the letter of First Peter. But he gets started here at this point. And he says, I should read that, in verse 22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so what does this holiness look like? 
And in uh, verse 22, he brings this back. Since you have in obedience purified your souls. Right? And where did we see obedience? We saw it back in chapter or in verse 14 that we are obedient children. Right? That, and here we have this understanding because you are obedient children. Right? And it's not that we have made ourselves. You have, uh, we have purified our own souls. Right? He says, he's saying that because we have believed in Jesus Christ, because we have surrendered our lives to, to Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that is our purification. And since we have been obedient in that, since we're following Christ, since we are sons and daughters of a loving Father, we are to love one another. Right? And I really love uh, verse 22 um, here because it seems like Peter is writing and it, he can't quite uh, kind of get all of what is in his heart kind of out on paper because he says, right, uh, obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. He's like, he's like love one another. And then it's as if that wasn't enough. He's like, love one another deeply or fervently or, or passionately from your heart. That is your response to living in the family of this God. As an obedient son and daughter, love one another like the Father has loved you. And we can fulfill this command to love one another because we have been born again. Right? It's not under our own strength. And we know, we have tried to do this. Right? We have tried to live holy lives. We have tried to live pure lives. But we find that we mess up and we get selfish and we kind of fall into kind of our old lifestyles or we kind of fall into these old tendencies. Right? But Peter is saying, you can do it. You can live holy lives. You can live in obedience to the Father. You can truly love one another, your family, your, your, your fellowship, your community of believers. You can love them passionately from the depths of your heart because you have been born again. And there's a famous verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, uh, you're... And Christ, um, when Christ came, and you're a new creation, the old is gone, the new is gone. I'm going to read it. It's a famous verse. Everybody knows this one. Oh, my goodness. Mental. I, I said it real good last week. Real good. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, uh, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation, right? Your old sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. It has been buried with Christ. And you have been raised to life, just like Jesus was resurrected, was raised to new life. We also have been raised to new life. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit, in which empowers us to be able to love one another, right? And Peter says that that is what our obedience looks like, loving one another deeply from our heart. But he also says what this love does not look like. And we see this in chapter 2. He says that don't live in malice, don't live in deceit, in hypocrisy, in envy, in slander. Right? And what I think is interesting about each one of these, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list, right? Peter's just kind of giving some examples of what, how not to live, but all of these things are done in relationship. All of these things are done in community. 
right? Because Peter, in this whole letter, is saying that you guys are strangers in this land. You guys are foreigners. You guys don't have a place. You don't have a place where you belong. But you have been adopted into the family of God. And you are a community of believers. And if you guys are going to endure this persecution, if you are going to endure this suffering, it's not going to be you alone in your prayer closet. It is going to be you as a community loving each other from the depths of your heart. And so if you guys are going to pursue this holiness, if you guys are going to endure this suffering, don't do these things because you're just going to add to the trouble. Don't live in malice. Don't lie to each other. Don't be hypocrites. Don't be envious. Don't slander. But love one another deeply, right? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And that, as we've mentioned, can be difficult for us to do. But Peter says that if you want some kind of some motivation, right, if you need to re-strengthen yourself, you guys need to, to refill so that you have the power to love well, he says to crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Right? He says to crave this pure spiritual milk Pursue the things of God. Pursue the Father. Pursue loving each other, right? As opposed to the former fleshly cravings, right? That, you're dead to that stuff. You're dead to, to living after your own carnal desires. You know, that depraved man has been destroyed. You are living new lives now. You don't have to do that. Now you can crave this pure spiritual milk. And Scott McKnight is a commentarian, and I just thought this was great, his definition of pure spiritual milk, refers to the very things that nourish the Christian community in its growth. Knowledge of God, prayer, instruction in the gospel, faithful obedience, and hearing God's preached word. The desire for spiritual nourishment is the desire of any church that wants to know the Lord and live in the light of his will. And that is what we want. That is what this church wants. We desire God. We desire to live in the light of his will. We desire to love this community. Well, we desire to love this faith, this family of believers, our brothers and sisters in this church and in every church, right? We desire to do that well, to love well. And so in order to do that, we need to be nourished, right? And that looks like it's not just reading the Bible, though that is incredibly important and that is part of this, right? But we want to pursue knowing God. We want to pursue praying and being instructed in the gospel and obeying what we are learning and hearing God's word preached and just gathering together on Sunday mornings, coming together as a community, right? That we are filled more and more with the Spirit. We're able to carry that with us and that empowers us to grow in our salvation, to, to actually act out these behaviors of love towards one another. And I think through this, um, this letter, we see that Peter, as well as Paul and Jesus and all these people, are passionate about community. Right? We see that over and over and over again throughout the, the Bible, that God is passionate about community, that God is passionate about fellowship. But so often we compartmentalize our lives and go, well, this is my sacred time and my 
you know, as I'm reading my Bible and, and praying this morning, and then I'll go out and do my real life. No, God says that your real life, living in holiness, is loving one another. And so your prayer closet is super important, but that is used to kind of strengthen you and to embolden you as you go out and you love the family of God and your community. So, what are we supposed to do with all this? I have said a lot of words this morning. So, what I think we can take from, from this book in most New Testament epistles is that theology prompts behavior. Right? We see over and over again that the, the, the New Testament authors will start you know, talking about these kind of grand theologies. Right? And even in, in the book of First Peter, he's talking about our inheritance right? in this kind of this imminent... Uh, this transcendent God who, who comes close to us, right, and is sovereign, he's powerful, we have a hope, and we know all these things. But this theology, this understanding of God, it leads to right behavior. So theology is not the end goal. Just knowing God is sovereign is not the end. That should lead us to behavior, right? What we believe about God affects how we live. And loving one another is the behavior of holiness, right? And I have fallen into this before, thinking that if I'm really holy, right, I'm going to spend four or five hours a day praying and, and reading my Bible. And I'm not against that. I think it's really important, right? And I, or if I'm really holy, I am going to go to every worship concert that they ever hold, right? Because like, that is what holy people do. In, and I, don't, and I, I love worship. I love worship concerts. I love big worship bands. I love doing that stuff. But I think where the, the rubber hits the road of, of following Christ, living for him, is actually in our behavior of loving one another. And that is what our holiness looks like. If we are not loving one another, then we have some room to grow. Holiness is all about freedom, loving each other, sacrificing ourselves for one another, following Christ's example. That brings freedom. And it is in that place, in serving others, that you truly glorify God. And you definitely glorify him through reading your Bible and worshiping. I'm not, am I clear? Good, good. But really, if you're not loving others, you're missing a bit. So, so the takeaway for today if you don't remember anything else, that, you know, how can you show love today? You know, how do we take this home with us, right? How can I actively show love to my family? How can I actively show love to my faith community, to this church, to the people that God has placed me with? How can I show love to my neighbors? Because as sons and daughters of the Father, we are called to be obedient. We are called to show Love, And even though we may be going through trials and, and struggles and, and tribulations and who knows the, the variety of difficulties that any one of us could be facing today, right? We are called to live holy lives in the face of those things as we follow Christ. So let's pray. Father God, you are holy. You are worthy. You are amazing. And we thank you that, that Jesus, you laid your life down to die on the cross for each one of us so that we could spend eternity with you. God, you are so good. And as adopted sons and daughters, we help us to, help us to live for you. 
Help us to love you passionately from the depths of our heart. God, help us to love one another passionately from the depths of our heart. Help us to live good lives, God, because you are on the throne, because you are the king, and we know we have a hope waiting in heaven for us. You are so good. You're so good. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, you guys are dismissed.